Welcome to a football show, Monday edition. Not a victory Monday, but get, damn it, it was close. Uh, his name is Zach Lyons. My name is Braden Gall. Welcome to the show. Jump into the comments, please. Uh, if you are watching on Twitter or Facebook, that's great. But on YouTube, you can actually interact, ask questions, and yes, usually make us both either laugh or look stupid. Uh, we do appreciate you guys. Mostly just me on, on that I last one I haven't seen anybody make us look stupid yet in the chat, and we've been doing this for about a year and a half. So <laughs> I guess Ray- you guys need to amp up your game. And uh, that's true. Step up your game, uh, Sewer. Come on, Sewer. Uh, no, we, we do appreciate you guys jumping into the comments. Jump over to the 440 Sports YouTube page. Give us a subscription. Head over to stackintheinbox.com. Give us, give you a subscription, of course. We've got a wild and crazy SEC championship game and college football playoff to discuss later on today in the show. And you and I were discussing the, the product in terms of the trust of the power structure, trust in Mike Vrabel, trust in Rand Carthon, trust in Amy Adams Strunk, trust in some of the leaders and we were going to have a little bit of a conversation about that. Uh, I think those answers, I think those questions have been answered just prior to the show with the firing of special teams coordinator Craig Ackerman. So we'll get to that and a ton to react to, of course, from the loss to the Colts in what I can only say is the weirdest football game I have ever seen d- played at Nissan Stadium. I'm sure there's other ones that are close, but it is among I, one, of I the, mean the, one of the craziest. The, 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 the Lions. Titans game was way crazier and way more improbable of the things that happened in that game than this game. And that was played at Nissan stadium. Maybe you left the game early, like 75% of the people did, but I mean, that to me was one of the, and maybe because I experienced it, but I felt like I experienced it yesterday because it was wild. I wouldn't really argue with it. I just think that that one has to be, for me, number one. And, but I could see that being flipped around to the other one. And, and I wouldn't argue with anybody uh, on any of that. I just think the statistical like probability of some of the things that took place on Sunday in the Titans' loss and overtime to the Colts are just extremely, extremely low. So we'll, we'll get to a lot of that stuff, what we thought of Will Levis, uh, the receiving core, the offensive line, the secondary, uh, a lot of that stuff. But again, as I mentioned, um, we're going to start with Craig Ackerman being relieved of his duties, but we are brought to you, of course, by Sinker's Beverages. You know, I was, I, was at, uh, I was hanging out with some friends in the neighborhood, and some of our kids were playing together uh, on Saturday uh, watching the, the SEC championship game. And we ran out of we ran out of uh, beverages, right? We all walk home, so let's just be be clear about this. We all we all walk back to our houses at the end of the, the evening, um, but we like kind of ran out of beverages. And my buddy decides to just order using this other company. I'm not going to use the name. I mean, I'm sure it's a fine company, but they use this this other company that delivers drinks. And I was like, well, wait a second. You know, you can just use Uber Eats and like search Sinker's Beverages and just have it delivered directly to your door. And 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 he. Yeah, exactly. And he was kind of like, really? (laughs) I was like, yes, yes. We've been telling people for over almost a year now that you can, in fact, have the booze delivered directly to your door. So if you're in the middle of that halftime game against the Titans and you have no idea what the hell you're watching, um, make sure you search Uber Eats, Sinker's Beverages and have the two time defending champion deliver you booze. That's all I got to say. Just make sure you do yeah. that. So Sinker's Beverages. Uh, and of course, their their sister store, Bluegrass Beverages, up in Hendersonville. Uh, proud title sponsor of Football and Other F-Words, uh, which I'm assuming will be entertaining this week. Uh, also, Kingston Group, Build KG. BuildKG.com is the website. You guys know the drill with them. Uh, they are experts on home building, home renovations, home selling, home buying. They are experts on homes, especially in Nashville. Very strange home market. Use them to your advantage. My family uses them to do additions to our house. We have used them to help us find other people that can help us with problems with our house. They are a full service uh, um, employer here, locally owned and operated, award winning. So make sure you check them out, buildkg.com. So Kingston Group and Sinker's Beverages, uh, there you go. We already have um, somebody somebody voting with you, by the way, Team Ramrod, which is just a fantastic reference. Uh, if you know, you know that Lions-Titans game is the wildest football game I've ever seen. And no one ever talks about it because it's the Titans and the Lions. To be um, fair. Me and Stoney almost spent an entire podcast talking about that game and talking about Jake Locker. Go to and go and subscribe to the unofficial Titans podcast and go listen there for a Jake Locker centric episode that talked a lot about that game. I, I think you and Stoney could do some sort of like weird series of episodes, call it like the Dead Gladiators or something about like former Titans and former Titans games that just need to be relived in very weird and strange ways, good and bad and, and otherwise. So uh, we'll get to all the weird oddities of of yesterday. But at the top of the list, of course, are 
back-to-back block punts in which, in which Ryan Stonehouse dies two separate times. It's, it's hard to die twice in a single football game, um, but Ryan Stonehouse did. It actually turns out he's out for the year now. He's going to require surgery, left the building on crutches yesterday, and, and obviously is, is going to be missed. The missed extra point with Ryan Tannehill as the holder, even the opening kickoff to the, to the Colts, their first, the Titans' first kickoff was like a 40-yard return. And this on the top of five years of just very strange decision-making. I think one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, Zach, was why we still have faith in, in the decision-making and the culture and Mike Vrabel and the leadership group of this Tennessee Titans organization. And I think one of the things that fully cements why I believe that there is still plenty of faith in all those people, uh, not, to, not the least of which is Rand Carthon's rookie class playing very well, um, that Amy Adams Strunk, I think, is still deserving of of, of high praise, by and large. Um, Mike Vrabel is still in control of the team in the locker room. But more importantly, sort of willing to do something different this time when it called for it and firing a guy he's been loyal to for a very long time and Craig Ackerman gone as the special teams coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. I mean, for me, this doesn't even rank in that category for me because I'm just I'm more surprised that he actually did it. Uh, not that I feel like it needed to be done right now. I, I mean, you could have waited. I mean, what's a special teams coach anyway? And, and you know, I feel, I just felt he could have waited. And if, if we're specifically talking about Craig Ackerman separately, the situation separately, I, I listen, you guys know me. I've, ever since I've been doing football and other F words and Mike Craig Ackerman has somehow waded through his 2018 season. Uh, I have been a proponent that Craig Ackerman should not have a job. And we were, I've been doing this thing that I'm working on this little new stat for everybody. It's called the buddy, the buddy stat. And it's how many player or how many coaches on staff are considered buddies, right? <laughs> In-house hires or hires that you have relationships with and all that kind of stuff. And when Craig Ackerman got fired, and people in the group chat know that I'm talking about this, uh, they go, well, I don't know if you can really say that Vrabel hired his buddy when he hired Craig Ackerman. That's kind of true because he was a holdover. There's no ties between Craig Ackerman. He was a holdover from the malarkey era, but he was promoted. And on top of that, on top of that, I think after a certain point, of subpar coordinating, you become a buddy. Six years or five and a half, if you want to call this half a year, was absolutely way too long for Craig Ackerman. So they became buddies. So he definitely counts towards the buddy rating system. So in my mind, I am very surprised because also like firing a coach midseason is not typically something he has ever done. But I thought his words today spoke a lot. And he said, you know, it's what's best. It's what's needed when it comes to those kinds of decisions, those kinds of moves. That's what he says. So it's like, it's what's best and what's needed. So keeping coaches in season that maybe should have been fired, Todd Downing, it was what's best and what's needed at the time. It's about timing and feel, and this was what's best and what's needed, and that tells you a lot because, let's be honest, we know Mike Vrabel's a big relationship guy when it comes to establishing relationships, getting to know players, getting to know staff members. I'm sure this was not a very easy decision from an emotional standpoint, but I also think that like when you see your punter on crutches knowing that he's going to be out, yep. I think it's pretty easy after that. And yep. this, And to me, yesterday, you can say – some of it is on the players. I think, you know, Josh Wiley, Luke Gifford, both those guys that, you know, messed up. Ryan Tannehill messed up. But again, it's the coordinator's job to have your guys prepared. After the first blocked punt where your punter gets murdered, why are your guys not prepared? Yeah. Well, the gunner, I mean, the, the gunner was yeah. sort of prepared. He pointed and said, hey, look at that guy. And then nobody paid attention, which that's on the coach. That's on the coach. Like you, you clear, like I've never heard of Ryan Tannehill ready. That's on the coach. I've never heard. And this is like, this is how my brain thought about it. Cause you know, offensive coordinators stack plays, right? Like you're going to run. I think the Packers did a brilliant job of it on Sunday night where they're running that jet sweep, fake motion, fake motion, fake motion. And then it's a real one. Right. And then, so they're stacking the plays off of each other. I've never seen a punt block get stacked. (laughs) I've never seen 
a coordinator stack his punt blocks because that's what he did on the first one. They blow up kind of like off the edge, but in the middle and kind of inside the tackle box and just destroy Stonehouse and they end up scoring a touchdown. Well, then he went a completely different route because he assumed the Titans were going to solidify the interior, which they did and didn't pay attention at all to the, to the gunner sliding in and coming off the edge. And so that's on the coach. Like that's on, that's on the coach. And so Amani Hooker said it best. They just did a good job of coaching up whatever we had. Yeah. The gunner came off the ball. They did a good job of timing it up just off the edge. Everyone was doing their jobs. It was a good job on their part and their coaching. That's yeah. straight from yeah. podcarski.com article about all of this. And I get I, I, this has been the question of the, the day is like, who, who, who made the call? Oh, I, I don't care who made the call. Craig Ackerman's gone. Well, and, and listen, to, Vrabel would have made the call. Let's say that he was forced to do it in midseason. I don't think he would have put up much of a fight because he's probably doing it at the end of the season anyway. But also his one of the best players, the most consistent players is on yeah. crutches and, and it's due to co- coordinating. And it's something that the Tennessee and yeah. that's a, Mike Vrabel's big on player side, players health and all this stuff. I, I think it's a Vrabel decision, but I really just don't give a shit. I don't give a shit to parse that out. He is yeah. gone. That's no, all that I, matters. I, I tend to agree with you. And Ed and Green Thumb, you both have kind of act, asked that. I, I just don't. And there were people on my, my replies I, I, on my X and everything. So I, I don't see at all how a general manager or owner can force the hand of a coach for a, like a special teams coordinator. Like it just doesn't. That's a Mike Vrabel decision, in my opinion. And I think this is also to your point. I don't care if he was technically hired or a holdover or brought out. Like we know how he likes to operate, which is to develop from within. And he's loyal to a fault to players and coaches, which is totally normal for most football coaches. And this is a long time coming for this. So I don't, it's not like we don't need to rehash like why this is happening necessarily. I think you've been on this for like three years now, uh, maybe longer. And I think, like, like, let's just, again, coverage yesterday wasn't very good either, and that's lost in the shuffle of, like, the major mistakes. But how about the Kyle Phillips punt drop against the Ravens? Like, that, it's Kyle Phillips' fault that he didn't catch the punt. That's his fault. It is the coach's fault that he doesn't know when to catch the punt or not. And so the coach has to coach that out of Kyle Phillips. And the returner problem has been a problem. Coverage has been a problem. Finding a field goal kicker, I think they, I think some of that's on Brable. And they're hubris. They finally decided to send a draft pick for a kicker. And guess what? It's worked out. Also turns out to be a halfway decent punter as well. Um, So I think, uh, you know, to me, there's just a long list of things. Does it change the team next year? Does it make them a 12-win team instead of a 10-win team or a 11-win team instead of a eight-win team? I mean, it may Maybe. with how the – I mean, they lost yesterday because of special teams, and they yeah. lost games before because of special teams. So, to the I Colts. Know, I mean, maybe not a 12-win <laughs> team, but there could be like two or three, you know, different games. Maybe not yeah. this year. Maybe this is the only year that special teams would have affected. But it doesn't mean that it can't come quickly for a team like this. And, you know, I, I look at it like this – you know, he he was never good. Yeah. Even dating yeah. back to yeah. the San Diego, his days with the, uh, I think they were still the San Diego Chargers back in 2016. But even as, as special teams coordinator, he was never good. Well, And they, any time that he ranked high, like last year's, when you have all pro Ryan Stonehouse, and you this year he was trending in a good direction because you have Nick Folk not missing kicks, and you have right. all pro Ryan Stonehouse. So, like, now you don't have Ryan Stonehouse. How good was the special teams unit going to be? Probably not that good. You know, my my thing is is he just he just never had an answer. Yeah, there was never an answer in the press conference that he gave that was like made me be like, okay, well now I understand what's happening. No, he just was a guy that was in over his head, and he was in over his head for uh, five and a half years, and. You know, maybe he's just a good special teams assistant, and that's what he is, and that's there's nothing sure. wrong with being that guy. But this is not a special teams coordinator. To, Tom Quinn, of course, will take over as the special teams coordinator for this team. I, you know, they always say like that the the sort of the historical cliche is always like, oh, it's the three phases of the game. It's three equal parts. And I've always been like, that's so stupid. It's like forty five percent offense, forty five percent defense, ten percent. Special teams. Well, it so should I'm not gonna, be, but Tennessee Titans don't make it that way. But, but so <laughs> I, here's what here's how I would look at that. I would say the vast majority of football game outcomes in the NFL don't hinge 
on special teams. But when they do, it can be incredibly important. And when, especially when games are very close as you get into the playoffs or into like, you know, divisional deciding championship caliber type of matchups, when you get into very close games, the margins get smaller. And I think that's where all of a sudden your special teams being really, and I would say the vast majority of special teams are probably similar, but that's where you get into like the very, very good special teams might be worth a couple of wins a year. And the very bad, bad, bad special teams might be worth a couple of losses each year. So I think it's more like a, 40 40 20 or a 45 45 10 but when they are important man is the impact magnified and, and it not normally happens in close games let's let's talk about coordination real quick not just about the coordination on the punting but your job as a coordinator should be listen you've been with the tennessee titans since 2017 you have seen some of the craziest statistical seasons about with injuries in the nfl in your time as special teams coordinator. When Ryan Stonehouse went down, was I believe got carted back to the locker room. I, I'm not for 100% on that, but when he's heading back to the locker room and he's taken out, your job is to be over there with Ryan Tannehill and Nick Folk and hammering out everything before yeah. they actually have to go out there and kick a field goal. And which, by the way, if you've got a new... If you got, and this is falls on to Mike Vrabel, if you have a new holder who did not do any of that because your special teams coordinator is not good at his job, you should be going for two. <laughs> you should not be going and kicking a field goal. And they lost and had to go into overtime because they missed that field goal because they didn't weren't over there. He was not coordinating. He was not over there managing players, making sure that they were ready, making sure that Ryan Tannehill said, Ryan, Got to get you over here, bud, because he should be like, Ryan, I know I didn't prepare you at all as part of my job this whole offseason and that practices while you became a backup. I could have spent time preparing you for this because we are supposed to be ready for everything, but not special teams. And I'm going to make sure, though, that you are ready, that you and Nick Folk are on the same page. Instead, he tilts it the wrong way, puts the laces the wrong way. It's in the right spot, but he did. you can see at the very end that he like tilted it in a weird direction. Yeah, it went and like towards then him. after him and Nick Folk yeah. are showing each other everything and going over here. Where's Craig Ackerman? He wasn't even over there for that. It was some other coach was over there for that. So I, yeah. I just yeah. I can't I can't feel bad for him. I mean I like I feel bad that someone lost their job, but yeah. I, it's hard for yeah. me to feel bad for someone that was bad at their job that lost their job. It, it's the nature of the game and they get paid very highly to play a, to coach a sport. So I'm not uh, in the grand scheme of the world. My bleeding heart does not ever go out to fired coaches or players. So uh, players may be more so because they're 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 physical toll on their body um all right let's we, we've got a co- some college football craziness to get to but i want to discuss the craziness that happened at nissan stadium just in general and then i want to get your thoughts on s- some specific players as well seekers beverages kingston group uh is who brings us this great show so it brings you this great show so please support them uh search uber eats search sinkers beverages have the booze delivered directly to your house okay drive so you can drink kingston group buildkg.com is the website so just a quick just quickly here okay Gave up a lead, gave up a double-digit lead, back-to-back block punts, four injuries to arguably the two most important players on the team. Jeffrey Simmons' knee injury, the update on him is a couple of weeks, but not super serious, so that's good and bad, but probably better. Not And not the knee he, he tore the ACL pre-draft. Derrick Henry uh, also left the game with concussion protocol, is not in the protocol today, which is also good news. It means he's probably playing next week. I don't we think talk- he got into the protocol yesterday either May- from maybe what not. it sounded like. So he was never in protocol, but Schefter said he was. So, But Schefter's been wrong before about yeah. Derrick Henry stuff, so I'm not surprised. Ryan Stonehouse, of course, as we've said, out for the season. Josh Wiley left it around the same time as Derrick Henry with the knee injury. It appears that it is not extremely serious, so who knows about that? We'll keep an eye on that. And then, of course, Christian Fulton left the game at the end of the at the end of the game. Didn't not sure I noticed him during the course of the game. Uh, not sure I noticed anybody Which in the secondary. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll get to the secondary in a sec in a second because that was bad uh, with a hamstring injury that keeps. And I think the way Rabel said is like, yeah, it's that. I can like see, damn I can, hamstring. He, he's like that damn hamstring keeps acting up and it's, you know, those, those, those soft tissues and hot yoga and shit <laughs> didn't really do much. Um, a pick two, 
which the, which the CBS broadcast totally screwed up, by the way, putting a touchdown on the board. And I was like, that was, I, yeah. I, well, I walked out of the room. I came back and I was like, you can't have those two things happen back to back, a block punt for a touchdown. So a pick two uh, off a of deflection too, by the way, not even just a regular old, like, Hey, you threw the out route slow and the guy broke on it well yeah. and took it the distance. No, like off somebody's face into hooker's hands and then all the way down um, the missed extra point, as we've already alluded to. Uh, Will and one of my main points about Will Levis is going to be ball security. We'll talk about that in a second. But the 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 uh, I took a three pointer knowing full well that it was going to clank off the front of the iron and I ran full speed to go get the rebound to knock the interception out of the guy's hands and then recover the fumble. Also, something I've never seen, maybe in like all of football uh, ever. Uh, you had uh, Tajay Spears knocking a fumble, knocking it what would have been a fumble down into the ground. Chig recovering. It goes back. They have to call timeout. I mean, just Colts are tackling each other. You got Levis and Hopkins getting into it on the sidelines. Like I just, I I was ready to say I, this is this feels like a game that has permanently broken this team this year, not long term, but just for this season. That this is the thing we're going to look back on and be like Stonehouse out, Simmons out, uh, the fan base. You know, I, I don't know. And then your piece comes out, which is is there such thing as a good loss? And I want you to kind of take us through your perception on that, because I think this is the, the, the moment we're going to look back on this season and go, Oh, that's where, that's where it kind of ended. And, and, and I think there's a chance that they, they only win a game or two the rest of the way, if that, and I think there's a moral mental psychological breaking that took place along with Ryan Stonehouse's plant leg. On Sunday, potentially, I would, I'm I would disagree it. with with the moral and mental aspect of it. Um, Mor- morale, by the way, team, <laughs> not moral. Yeah. Oh, morale. Uh, but I mean, like to me, it's it doesn't. Um, I, th- I think you're wrong on that, and I, I talk about it in my piece. But the message all week was go out there and fight from Vrabel because what we've talked about leading up into these games, dating back to last week or last year, during that you know during that really bad losing streak, we've talked about the, the team doesn't look like it has any fight in it. It doesn't look like is is Vrabel's message wearing thin or people ignoring Vrabel is Vrabel still got control of the locker room, et cetera, et cetera. Yesterday's game answered everything. They, they had fight from start to finish all the way into overtime. They fought, they had players flying around. They had players, you know, with energy, they had players that were hard to tackle. They had players that were delivering some massive tackles. They had everything you wanted to see in a Titans game that you have not seen from all three, from the offense and defense, your main two phases, that you have not seen all year. I think this was their their best fought team. Like This was the most complete offense and defense that I feel like we've seen all year, even in the wins, because they cared. They fought. That was the message. It's unfortunate that they, you could kind of tie this into Florida State. It's unfortunate they fought really hard and played really well, but they're still not good enough. <laughs> and that's 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 just how it is, right? Like, that's just how it is at a certain point. You lose Jeffrey Simmons relatively early in the game. You, you got the kicks. They still fought even after losing Jeffrey Simmons. They could have laid down and died. They could have laid down and died after two blocked punts. They didn't. That lets me know that they are listening to Mike Vrabel and Mike Vrabel's strategy, Mike Vrabel's messaging, Mike Vrabel's grasp of the locker room is as strong as ever. And it, it's tough, and it's a tough loss. But sometimes in these losses, if you're part of, if you played sports or maybe part of some kind of competitive team, sometimes in these losses, you see who you can go to battle with. You you have yeah. found the soldiers that you are willing to go and give it your all, and you can look each other in the eye and said, "Hey, we gave it our all." On to the next. This team could end up being something totally different than what I'm actually thinking, but that was a good loss yesterday for the fact that you saw a team that actually fought. You saw a team yeah. that actually is listening, cares for each other that is willing to go that extra mile, it just wasn't good enough, and that's okay. So I agree with all of your analysis of the game itself. I completely agree with everything you wrote in, in Stack in the Inbox. I, I, I completely agree with all of that. 
my concern and and we'll find out over the course of the next few weeks if my hunch here is wrong or right and i'm i'm totally willing to be completely wrong on on, on this no no problem at all what sometimes can happen and i think is a natural human element is that when you do that right you you rally you fight you you play your ass off first of all if you're a titans fan and you're going to lose games like that as weird and as bizarre and as painful as it could have been that was a really entertaining dramatic football game no matter what like are, are you angry at the secondary for allowing everyone to get beat deep? Yes. Are you angry at special teams? Yes. Guy's been fired. Like, I understand the anger fans would feel in the moment watching this, that game. But that was at least an entertaining, dramatic, back and forth, it, it, just an exciting football game, you know, quality aside, an, an exciting football game. I'm curious because sometimes what you can see is sometimes a loss can beat you more than once in football. It happens more in college. It doesn't happen as much in the NFL. But sometimes a loss can can beat you a second time or the next week, and they're gonna have to play Miami on Monday night. Uh, so they're gonna I'm, lose, but it's not gonna be because of sure. this game. What I'm worried about is that sometimes there can be a tipping point in a season where you've been battled. You you did rise to the occasion. You did heed the strategy and the culture message from Vrabel, from Vrabel, and you did do all of that. And not only was it not good enough, but we lost like our two best players, and, and like. You see what I'm saying? And it was our arch. Hey, we got well, up to for be our honest, arch rival. Though, it was got up. good. It took three fluke plays, right? It took the two blocked bunts, and it took having to put Ryan Tannehill out there. Other than that, it was good enough. I mean, no, they no. their good enough was good enough to beat the Colts, but they still lost. So, like, I think that's the message, right? That's the message to keep it going. If you're Mike Vrabel, you say it sure. took two damn blocked punts in a our backup quarterback going out there and being the holder on a field goal for us to lose this game. You guys did it. You guys fought hard. And we got a tough Monday night football matchup. We're going to have an extra day to prepare or an extra day of rest. I don't know how they actually use that, you know, those days and all that kind of stuff heading into Monday night football. And nobody expects us to win. But we know, we know that you have brothers and soldiers beside you that are ready to go to war and we can win this game, even though everybody else. That's what good coaches do, and that's what I know Mike Vrabel is doing some form of that. Again, may not be good enough because this is not a good team. Right, right, right. But that's okay. And I feel like, yeah, it's a bad law. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It can snowball, but I think that that snowballing could is probably – is over. They they already know that they snowballed, right? Like I mean, they <laughs> they're bad yeah. avalanche and all that. So now it's time to rally the troops. And if they had came out and maybe lost the game, but in a different fashion, or maybe even if they lost a close game, and the players and the coaches acted differently during the game or played with less effort, yeah, sure, there is no such and, thing as a good loss. I think the effort just, I to me, it shows. It's not really that I think that they're going to win anymore, but I think that you have player. I think all the players have bought. It, it tells more about Mike Vrabel than it does anything else, and it tells more about the young players than it does anything I, else. I, I agree with you. I think for that to stay true, I think I just need to keep seeing it for for the rest of the season. And I, and I don't. I I'm not suggesting that they're not. I'm. Cons I'd be concerned because the game of football is. I think people think, and I say this about bowl games all the time. It's like, oh, when they say that, like, oh, this team doesn't care. They don't, they don't, they didn't start their players. Like, they don't care about a bowl game. I'm talking about five to eight to 10% less energy and focus and effort. It's not, it's not like a team gives like 5% effort. Like, no. And in the NFL, taking your, and Elliot says, I could see some of the vets or dudes on their way out, regardless, taking their foot off the gas. It's the young dudes competing for future spots that I can see still working hard. All very valid and, and smart points. The issue in the NFL is you don't have to like it, it could be subconscious that 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 drops you that four percent or that six percent effort. It doesn't mean that you're like loafing or taking time off or not bought into the message. I think Some there's people a can't afford to do that if they want a no. second contract. There's a <laughs> lot of people on one year contracts. There's a lot of people on this team that can't afford to take anything off. What I'm saying is there's a natural when when you do buy in like that. And you were like, all right, let's it, it's almost like a. am trying to come up with a good analogy. Like, a, you know, how an underdog basketball team in the tournament, like the 12 seed, right, is playing against the five seed and they're down by 15 the entire game and they 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 rally and they start knocking down shots and they grow, they build and 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 they, they catch the team. And all of a sudden there's six minutes to go and they're down by two. Right. 
Like you've bought in, you've given everything you've got, the the energy and the motion, you're playing your ass off, you're totally bought in. And then like the the big power five team just does the one thing because they're better. And all of a sudden, like that breaks your 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 you're like shit, we just busted our asses to get back in this game. And because we're not good enough, that one big play by the other team, and all of a sudden they've got a 12 point win. Does that make sense? Like, does that like I just feel like this this win can be you can deliver a different message coming off this loss because of the, how you lost, you know? And I also think that, listen, they may, this is a wildly inconsistent team. So maybe it does go back to normal because it's, but it's because it's a wildly inconsistent team (laughs) devoid of talent, not necessarily because of like they had their morale crushed or anything. And then another reason that's a good loss just to be honest is we talked about this last week. We never got around to the subject, but you're, um, you were, you were talking about you, you have family that is like, I just really want to watch good games and I want to win and blah, blah, blah. And we watched a really good game and it was a loss. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a good loss because guess what? The Tennessee Titans are within striking distance to get in the top three is not out of the realm of possibility that Tennessee Titans get in the top three. The NFL released today and maybe they switched something to the strength of schedule compared to tankathon but today tennessee titans are seven tankathon has them listed as eight but in the nfl eyes they're seven yeah. so maybe there's some weird tiebreaker before you get to strength of schedule that goes into the new york jet but they can get up to number three yeah they're there it's I, not I, it's, an improbability that the this team gets up to number three and that means you have your choice of three blue chip players at a position of need if so, if you do yeah, not yeah. if you don't let the the way the loss happened on Sunday like ruin your life <laughs> like if you don't yeah. if you don't let that happen in your emotional state if you don't let that happen it's a win win if you lose you move up in the draft if you win you enjoyed your Sunday even more and so i think and i think that's very very complicated jets fans understand it but titans fans have been very good under variable so it's harder to understand maybe so again, all I'm saying, all I'm I'm concerned about is that like you you get you buy into the message, you get up, you play your freaking ass off, and it's against your arch rival at home where we're undefeated. And not only do we lose in just atrociously embarrassing, ridiculous, fluky fashion, but we also lost probably our two best players for a big chunk of time in Ryan Stonehouse and and Jeffrey Simmons. And I I would I'm not saying it's gonna happen. If it does happen to the team where they sort of take their foot off the gas or it kind of breaks the season this season, not long term, but just this season, I would that's to me sort of human element. I think there's a little bit of human. I could be totally wrong. And Vrabel's message, like you said, is look how close we were. Keep fighting. Look how close we were. Keep fighting. That's never going to happen again. Keep fighting. Are you with me? Let's go to war like that. You know, like I get what you're saying, and I only time will tell with, with, with what this is. So. Let me ask you about. Can I ask you about a couple of individual players yeah, and, and, and stuff? Um, obviously, the secondary was 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 a huge problem. Um, I wanted to get your thought. Like Molden, <laughs> Molden was beat on a touchdown. Fulton was injured and got beat a few times. Sean Murphy Bunting had probably his worst game. Unfortunately, they put him in on 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 Michael Pittman most of the game. Uh, Avery they didn't gave give up anything the- to Molden. Uh, Mold that one play by Molden uh, was was Christian Fulton's fault. Molden had three receivers coming at him, and you could see it on Teron Davenport's. Uh, yeah, he put up one of those dots. But as soon as Kayvon Wallace went out, that play to Alec Pierce, that was on Christian Fulton. Uh, Jack Gibbons is not a secondary member, of course, but is like the backup tight ends are just torching people down the field uh, for this team. So I just I wanted to ask you quickly about the secondary, and I think that is outside of the offensive line and the special teams. I think the secondary, like just. Even some of the guys you believe in have a future with the team next year. And I'm not putting Trey Avery in that category, for example, who was beat on the touchdown for the game winner. It, it was a tough, tough, tough day for the secondary, for sure. Yeah, so, you know, Roger McCreary, he was one for five uh, on targets thrown his way. Kyle, Kylan Granson was the 40, or was the 46 yards, the one catch. Big catch. Can't allow that to happen. It was off a trick play, but that was, it is what it is, right? Um, I thought that, you know, the way that they deployed Christian Fulton was, uh, I hated it. It was against what I said and it came back to bite them in the ass. 
I mean, the Alec Pierce, right when Kayvon Wallace goes out for a stupid play, stupid penalty. Um, and then they let Alec Pierce go that way. When he, Listen, Sean Murphy Bunting had the worst game as a Tennessee Titan that he's had all year by far, not even close. So maybe he wouldn't have done things differently then, but maybe because he's not, maybe because he's a little bit more heady and a little bit more sound in his assignments, typically, he may have been ju close just enough for Gardner Minshew not to throw it that way. But to me, Christian Fulton, yet again, on when he's on Michael Pittman, one for two for 14 yards. No touchdowns uh, how, when, when he's involved. Let me and ask I you. I don't how, understand why they do not take Christian Fulton. They should have shadowed. And I said it twice, said it yeah. on the show, said it in an X that day, that they should put Michael Pittman on there, but they're too stubborn to do it. Well, let me ask you, do you think that's Chris Harris, Shane Bowen, Mike Vrabel, all the above? Like who's making that ultimate call? Because we know Vrabel's philosophy. I, I, be, I would say that it's either uh, say that it's either Shane Bowen, uh, Shane Bowen or Mike Vrabel. Like yeah. that's a that's a them kind of deal. Uh they could have game plan to do that. I mean maybe it's also the analytics department for not bringing it forth to them. Yeah. I don't know. But it's not easy to it's not hard to find and look at tape and all this kind of stuff to know that Michael Pittman and Christian Fulton is a plus matchup for your team where you can practically erase Michael Pittman. Instead, you just let him go wherever he wanted to go, whether it's on Jack Gibbons, Sean Murphy Bunting, uh, you know, Trey Avery. It doesn't matter where it goes. Listen, Christian, the, this zone defense that they are playing these guys, and I said it, they have to be sound and disciplined when they pass off in these zone coverages. And they did really good against Josh Downs. But they re did really poorly against Michael Pittman yep. and Sean yep. and uh, Alec Pierce. So Elijah Molden, fantastic day. Amani Hooker, fantastic day. They had no issues. Kayvon Wallace, fantastic days. Your safeties, if you want to include Elijah Molden in that, played out of their minds. Christian Fulton had a dumb, dumb play. Sean Murphy Bunton had a couple different bad plays and he was just getting abused and Roger yep. McCreary got abused on a trick play. And, and uh, there's also an element of like, Hey, so just please for the love of God, just somebody make a play right. And McCreary dropping the interception, which is not an easy Ugh. play. That's a hard play, but like it's an opportunity that you miss, you know, one of those kind of things. Um, I wanted to set you up for, for the, why didn't you shadow Christian Fulton with, with, with uh, Michael Bittman? That's what I wanted to ask you about there. All right. Offensive line. Um, how th this team, and I'm going to get to, I, I want to get to, to Levis and Spears in just a second, but th the offensive line, where are you at on how we, how they played yesterday? I mean, the pen, like, what are they leading the league in false starts? I don't know if that's on Haas, yep. the offensive line coach, if that's on, uh, Tim Kelly, Mike Vrabel, but like the, the penalties are just absolutely killing them. It, it, and it, I don't know, Duncan had some, a couple of nice plays, a couple of nice run blocks. He also Got I saw people say that he played better this week than last week. No. I want to know what game no. you were fucking watching. No, he got. I even asked, like, when I see X's like that, I'm like, I have to ask someone smarter than me because I, I felt like on the broadcast he played terribly. I thought terribly. he played terribly. I, I thought he had a bad day. Now, again, and he, and, and listen, Colts defensive line is pretty six good. Round pick. Yeah, he's a rookie sixth round pick, and there was a lot of stuff that he did do well. But he allowed nine total pressures, three sacks, one quarterback hit, and five hurdles. Oh, nine pressures shit. total. Okay, they nice. allowed as an offensive line. Uh, let me just make sure I am getting this right. Yes, twenty-two pressures, four sacks, both on the tackles, three on Jalen Duncan, one on Dylan Radens. The oh. only person. Uh, Peter Skronsky allowed three hurries. Dylan Radins allowed a sack and four hurries. Daniel Brunskill allowed a quarterback hit and two hurries. Aaron Brewer allowed a hit and a hurry. And I already said what Jalen Duncan did. The run blocking was great, I thought. I thought the run blocking was good. But, man, that pass blocking, man, yeah. it was terrible. And they they did not trend in the right direction. Now, this is a probably a – I don't I don't know if it's – it's probably like – a different style of pass rushers that you're seeing. But what I thought was unique about the Colts was like, they're really strong, but it also seems like it didn't matter what you were doing. They were attacking the right holes and loaded up the right side almost every time. Like their, their gap discipline seemed like just really good.
It's because I Colts. what I what I think about the Colts is that they, they don't have the TJ Watt Miles Garrett guy, but they don't have a single weakness. Like like the, like if you go down the line with with Pay and Buckner, and then the two outside guys that I can't pronounce their names all the time. Um, but like you you all those like there's not a weakness there, and so on any given play. If they were to focus on, hey, we're going to do a stunt on the right side, it worked. If we're going to go speed rush outside, it worked. If we're going to go, you know, up the middle on a delayed blitz, it, it worked. And and I think this leads to, um, a, I don't know if you have much more to add on the offensive line, but I think it's tied into what my biggest. Complaint no, I just about. think it goes to tell you that guys, he's a six round rookie, and that's fine. Like he can maybe find a place on the on the starting offensive line, maybe at right tackle or something. But guys, Jalen Duncan is not the left tackle of the future. It wasn't close to the being that last week. It's not close to it's even further away from this week. Yeah. It's not happening. Like we we gotta I just want to reset everybody's mind on this. Please do not expect that Jalen Duncan is your solution at left tackle. Your solution is in the NFL draft this year. Yeah. And Vrabel did say some Vrabel was sort of like you can always tell when he when he when you he was like, we're just scratching the surface, I think is the phrase he used with, with Jalen Duncan yeah. today, and then proceeded to point out a million things that he needs to do better. Um, and I think it is a lot of upside. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of development. It doesn't mean he can't be a right tackle, let's say, next year or the year after. I think there's plenty of raw talent there to work with, which is kind of what his scouting report was. Uh, but the offensive line is is this major issue across the board that we know of. Uh, not every position, but by and large, is the biggest issue on the team. And I think that means that one of the things I really need to see from Levis, because I don't, Levis said after the game, this was his worst game. Uh, I think it, I don't, I don't know if he missed a ton of players like he did against Carolina or maybe didn't see the pre-snap pressure the way he needed to do that against Pittsburgh, right? Like there's certain different games have different things where you like, you see something he needs to work on. And to me, I've been saying protect your body is one of them, but like, Ball security's got to be another one. He's made these throws all all season where he's kind of avoided the interception because of the the ball was off his hands. The dude made some killer throws on Sunday. Like the dude made a, a bunch of really really great throws. He also just a little bit more focus on the ball security when you're stepping up into the pocket. There's a like he recovered his own strip sack. The two one was a fumble and one was an interception. Both came off of pressure and deflections. Like just being more aware of the the, the the people around you. He takes so many big hits immediately getting rid of the football. And not that's not all his fault. But I think the ball security and taking care of your body are are, are big ones that and let's put it on the list of things he needs to keep working on. I I you know, I, I didn't think it was a terrible game by him, but I do I am starting to see I like thought he, it was his worst game. I, I agree. I tend to agree. I tend to agree. I mean, I guess if you're looking at it from a pure passing uh, perspective and not like a pure football playing perspective, like if you if you were looking at through the lens of Steve McNair, this was a pretty good game. But if you're looking at it through the because you know Steve McNair was not a great passer, but he sure was a great damn football player, right? A great damn athlete, a great damn leader, gave us all all the time. Sure. sure. If you look at it through the lens of Ryan Tannehill. It's not a very good game. <laughs> like, I mean, a, 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 pa a passing game. I mean, the shots to DeAndre Hopkins, we know one was a miscommunication, but there was one later on down the road where he didn't even give him a chance to try to do a uh, get pass interference. I mean, he threw it way out of bounds. I mean, completely inaccurate. And you could see Hopkins react yeah. to that. Yeah. I mean, Hopkins his, is like up, up the field, dude. <laughs> yeah. The worst CPOE, so completion percentage over expected. It's the first time he's been negative, and he was negative 12.1. So he missed 12. There was 12.1% of completion percentage points that he left on the field yeah. on that game. And that was his worst. He hasn't had a negative CPOE. That's been one of the best things he's been at. He's completed percent per passes over expected at a positive rate every week. But this was his worst week. Now, it's one of his best weeks for EPA is one of his best weeks for success rate. But he left a lot of plays on the table, and that's fine. That's perfectly acceptable. That's okay to say. I'm not saying give up on Will Levis. He would even tell you that it was his worst game, and I'm sure he still felt that way after he went and watched the uh, the game. Uh, I'm going to get into this first half, second half, but you know there there's a lot that's you know in an article. There's just a lot that he still has to work on. But that's expected. This is a better rookie season in my mind than what I saw from Josh Allen. 
If you want to look at Josh Allen's rookie season, he was not very good. Will Levis is better than Josh Allen's rookie season. Does not mean that Will Levis is going to be better than Josh Allen, but that should give you some hope that as far as rookie seasons go, he's got a lot of good things working in his favor that will be able to be improved upon in 2024. Ed Henry says, Jordan Love or Will Levis, Braden? And I still think Will Levis has as much physical upside and talent as, as Jordan love. I think love misses some throws still. He's been in the league for, for, you know, three years preparing for this. Uh, they both have sort of like the, the Packers offensive line is probably slightly better, but it's not all that great. Um, you know, they're running back slightly better. I mean, like, I don't know if it's slightly better. It's got, be but like the receiving, like Deandre Hopkins would be the best player on either team. And for as far as receiving core goes, uh, I do think the I think last it's hard to do recency bias because I think Matt Lafleur called the best game of his entire career as a Packers a coach. game, and and I think that Jordan Love played the They've best first half. Of these seen, last so. three or four weeks, Jordan Love has. I mean, I think it was the he's got three or four games now with the highest passing total since Aaron Rodgers at some point during his career, yeah. yardage wise. He's he's being very good, quick, decisive. Matt Lafleur, you're right, is is calling good games. Which is going to lead me into my column next tomorrow. And now. I want to, <laughs> I want to ask you about that because the Packer, the Packers are the youngest offense in the NFL, and all of their receivers and are, are all like first and second year oh, players. None and of three of my like favorite wide receivers were in that game last night. <laughs> none, none of whom were drafted in the first round. By the way, not not one of them were drafted in the first round. You've got Wicks, Heath, Reed, Watson, <laughs> like Dobbs, all down the list of like second through sixth round picks. They're all late picks. And they're not all going to be good, but some of them are going to hit and be very good. Um, and so the Titans that could take a page. In. The Titans could take a page out of that that book for sure. So that that it sounds like you want me to ask you about Tim Kelly because um, I want to no, say no. That's going to be for tomorrow because I, I okay. you know there's there's a lot that I have not unpacked data wise with Tim Kelly yet. So I don't want to talk about Tim Kelly, but I will say that there seems to be some kind of discrepancy in the second half play calling versus yeah. what works in the first half. But I also when I was kind of looking at it. Last night, before this game got loaded up and everything with data and all that kind of stuff, the second half actually is trending better in some of the efficiency metrics. So I, mean, I don't want to get into it right now. And there's also things I want to talk about, like with slants and dropbacks and all this stuff. I'm just not ready to talk about. I do want to say this. Tajay Spears is the real deal. Tajay Spears could be your lead running back while Derrick Henry is recovering. Do not play Derrick Henry this week. I, I, tend, I tend to agree with that. Uh, uh, Shrike says this. Levis doesn't see the underneath stuff until the last second. He wants the big ball so much he refuses to move on from it until he's getting hit. That could be a part of your what you're talking about, looking into the to the some of the routes that are working. I will say this about Tim Kelly: they they schemed up the game winning drive when they needed it most, and Levis executed the game winning drive when they needed it most. Tajay Spears, big part of the game winning drive when they needed it most. And my only thing with Spears, the dude, like so, there are certain players that know how to fall really, really well. And that means avoiding hits. It means knowing how to sort of contort your body to like get out of the way and still get tackled, but but still gain yards. And there are guys who just like I watch Tajay Spears play, and I I like he is such a hard ass runner, and it's so hard to tackle, but he takes so many big hits. And hopefully that's something he learns to sort of maybe avoid a few of those moving forward because that that like even in the passing game, which wasn't his fault. Like two weeks ago when Levis kind of hung him out to dry, like he just takes a lot of shots. And some of those are because he can't be tackled. <laughs> and so I just, I want him to be able just, I don't know what the right phraseology is. Like be careful with your body, protect yourself, but while not changing any of your aggression, like it's hard to, it's hard to do that. But Robert Griffin is the worst faller I've ever seen in my life. Emmett Smith might be one of the best fallers I've ever seen in my entire life. Ladanian Tomlinson, one of the best fallers ever. Never saw those guys take big hits. Go watch some Emmett Smith and Ladanian Tomlinson film. <laughs> Just that, that's what I hope from for Tajay. Otherwise, I agree. I think he's clearly capable of being a 15 to 25 touchback per game. So uh, okay. Looks good. Anything else you want to add? Um oh Chig. Chig, back to back, best two games of the season, more involved in the offense. Are you buying that? Is that a trend or is that just Carolina and the Colts at home. What, what do you make of that? I don't know. I mean, the Colts aren't no slouch in the linebacker department and in coverage and stuff. So I guess you kind of have to say, you know, I, you put it together three good games. I'm here for you. I'm here for the redemption tour. 
So just keep it going. Second half of the season. Yeah, which is about where he... Oh, I got something I want to say. Oh, all right. All right. How dare these freaking idiots healthy scratch Kyle Phillips for a Traylon Burks who's going to only play like nine snaps, ten snaps. That was your game plan? Like you could just have him sit on the sidelines. With those ten snaps, Kyle Phillips could probably provide you more. And you play Nick Whisberg, Kene, 60-something snaps. Chris Moore had a bunch of snaps. Of course, DeAndre Hopkins was 60-something snaps. But you keep Kyle Phillips on the sideline, who is a reliable pass catcher. That could have been a difference in the game, too. I know people probably are thinking, that. well, that's pretty extreme. But you talk about some of these, you know, first downs that Kyle Phillips tends to find his way to, some of these drive extenders that he does. He's a reliable target that gets open. He has one of the best separations on this team as far as when he is targeted. He is open by a wide margin. And these idiots are too scared of Kenny Moore to put him in. And they're like, oh, we got to make sure Traylon Burst gets non snaps because he does a lot with them. He went zero for zero. He would have done that with 30 snaps more than like. <laughs> well, put Colton, it in Kyle Phillips, play Kyle Phillips. Colton Dow also active, but exclusively for special teams. That's not, it's not necessarily a one for one swap. It could be like, hey, we wanted an extra DB or we wanted an extra this. It's not necessarily just Dow or Burks that, that took his spot I mean, theoretically. Eldon's yeah. right, strike 113. He says, they went in knowing they would only use three wide receivers, and I think they're idiots. I think that's I think that's stupid. Well, I think we'll that's one of the stupidest things they've done all damn year was healthy scratch Kyle Phillips, who's been a reliable target, a reliable target for your for your young quarterback. Makes no damn sense. Yeah, I, I, well, well, I'm assuming we'll get a question about that this week and find out if it there's more to the story or if it's more of a matchup thing or. You know, again, I know people see like Dow active, Phillips not, and think that was the decision. And it's not, it's not that simple. Sometimes well, I uh, feel like it was more Burks yeah. than Phillips at M- this maybe. point. I mean, you, you don't have to, you didn't have to play Burks his first game back from concussion. If you're playing their, their game plan, it was, it was planned that they were only going to really use three wide receivers. And yeah. Kyle Phillips was not one of those wide receivers. And that's foolish. Okay. Uh, cover Michael Pittman with Christian Fulton and play Kyle Phillips. Two bad coaching decisions. Uh, all right. The committee college football here will wrap up. Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, of course, are two great and amazing right. local local sponsors. Um, I don't know if they got it right, but it's not because Alabama or Texas. Um, so I, I think you got to We I, I would like to say after watching the Oregon-Washington game, I got to eat my words. I think Washington can compete. And I think Washington's one of the best teams, and he, they may even be a, a better team than Michigan. I think there's a lot of teams that might be better than Michigan, but they had yeah. to get in. They had to put them in. Just like that's they kind had of my put, feeling about Florida State too. Was like there's like a to, lot of teams better than Florida State. Not without their superstar quarterback. Yes, there with are their, a lot of teams with Jordan Travis as their quarterback that are better than Florida State. Um. Okay, but not not undefeated conference champions, which I don't love as the argument, but that is the argument. And if Jordan Travis was healthy, they would have got they would have been put in the playoff. So I, I think they what, what they had to do. Number one thing you need to remember about this is I like I personally think Georgia is the best team that was left out. I know Florida State fans think they're the best team that was left out. I think Ohio State's don't Ohio State fans don't really have an argument, but pretty damn good football team that got left out that largely accomplished. They're, they're better than Florida State. I think they're also I agree with you on that. Um, so I think there's like the committee, this is the first time ever in 10 years and the last time ever (laughs) that the committee was not looking for a reason to put you in, but looking for a reason to keep you out. And those are two, it's a very subtle difference, but it is what they had to do. Ohio state didn't win its division, compete for a championship. They got left out. Georgia lost Alabama, Alabama gets in. So therefore Georgia didn't win a championship. They are left out, even though I think that's stupid and just blindly dumb football decision-making. Florida State lost its best player, and their offense went into the toilet the last two games where they averaged less than four yards per play. And in a year where all seven teams deserve to be in, you had to find a reason to put somebody out. And Jordan Travis not playing, it says in their bylaws, key missing players is a part of the evaluation process. It says it in the rules. So Florida State fans... And the schedule. And 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 you you also... That's exactly right. You can't be... I would say this also about... If Jalen Milrow had gotten hurt against Auburn... I would say the same thing about about Alabama. If J.J. McCarthy was out for Michigan, I'd say the same thing about Michigan. You can't have the worst strength of schedule and lose your star quarterback and and in a year like this, expect to get into the playoffs. So it's a bummer. It sucks. Lost in all the chaos is that we got two, what what could be two very good football games in the playoff. 
Um, of course, Michigan won Washington. Hey, Alabama is probably going to smoke Michigan. I, I gotta, assume that Alabama is going to smoke Michigan. Uh, this time I got an Alabama. I got Alabama two and a, with, I got Alabama two and a half right away. Yeah, yeah. I am enthralled <laughs> right by the Texas Washington matchup. Like I think that could be one of the best football games that we have watched all year, and I'm I'm kind of rooting. I'm rooting for Washington from like a state of. I really like Michael Penix. I really like Roma Dunze. I really love watching him play every week. But I'm also kind of rooting for Texas because I'm like, man, it sure would be fun to have an Alabama versus Texas rematch in the national championship game. <laughs> that would be so amazing. Uh, I, I think this is... I, I think you're going to get it. you got three of the four best teams. And I think only I agree. Michigan... I agree. You got to let Michigan in because they're undefeated. They have a good strength of schedule. They beat Ohio State. They um, have been consistent all year and won the Big Ten. Like they have to kind of be in, but I'm kind of with you. I think they're the fifth, maybe sixth. But I think they're the fifth best team in the nation. I would put Georgia as the top four with these other three teams. So I'm, I might go. So my issue with Washington is they have by far the worst of the seven teams we're talking about here. Washington has by far the worst unit defensively. They are the worst defense worse than any of the offenses or are the, or the defenses. So they have the worst unit. Now they're healthier in that championship game against Oregon than they had been all year, which is an important note and an important context. Um, I also, my, my issue with Washington is much like TCU last year, teams that, that don't have elite talent and are barely surviving as the season goes along throughout the course of the most of the season. That's generally a thing that gets exposed in the playoff. And while Washington is completely deserving and totally worthy of being where they are, and congratulations, they are great, great quarterback, great receiving core, brilliantly called football game against Oregon to attack them on the edge, running the football, like everything was great I mean, about yeah, that. Even the defense played really well that game. They're, they are, they are, they are a worthy team. They are absolutely again, all seven of these teams are worthy in my opinion. So if you get if your team got left out, you deserve to be pissed. If your team got in, you deserve to be in, and that's a weird place for us to be, and that's why we're going to twelve. But if you ask me who the best four football teams are, and it's not, Jason, it's not arbitrary. It is based on every piece of data we have collected over the course of the season. We watched 13 games of Bama and Georgia and Oregon and Washington and Michigan and 12 of Ohio State and 13 of Texas and we and 13 of Florida State and three had to be left out and four had to go in. That's just the math of it. If you're asking it's, me. Listen, offers championships one, strength of schedule, head-to-head -head competition, comparative outcomes of common opponents without incenting margin of victory and other relevant fact relevant factors such as unavailability of key players and coaches that may have affected a team's performance during the season or likely will affect its postseason performance. Now that that's a lot of words to ultimately say what's your job and their job is to put the best four teams. The job has never been best most deserving. The job has never been best resume. The job has always been the best four teams. I would argue all of those things are the same. Certain teams yeah, have let's say certain teams have different strengths on their resume and weaknesses on their resume than others. Washington, lots of wins over a top 12 schedule but not very dominant and not a very good defense, but the best offense. Right. So their resume, everybody's resume is kind of different. Who, which team is the most improved team and has one of the most unstoppable quarterbacks and beat the number one team in the nation has the most wins over the top 20 Alabama. Like so again, my, my best four teams who I think the best four teams in college football are the season are Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, and Texas. Those are the four best teams in my opinion. And I feel pretty calm about it. Like I asked some people in Vegas, what would Georgia be against everybody else? And two, two and a half touchdown favorite over at Florida State. They'd be a heavy favorite over Texas. They'd be an even heavier. We'll favorite. actually see that. Like, well, hey, that's not hey, a real Florida game. State. Here's your here, here. Hey, Florida State. Here's your consolation prize. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, you didn't. We we kind of, we didn't put you in, even though you won your conference championship. The, but here's the, Georgia. <laughs> the the idea that a Jordan Travis less Florida State is better than Georgia is fucking comical. And, and I'm yeah. I lost I lost money on that because I had money on Florida State to make the playoff. I, I lost money on on that statement. But it's comical if you think that Georgia, the clear number one team in the entire country, loses to Alabama by three points in a neutral site matchup, and all of a sudden they are the sixth best team in America. Get the fuck out of here! That's absolutely ridiculous. They are clearly one of the four best teams. My problem is, I don't know who you leave out. <laughs> there's only four spots and it was easy. Here's the other thing you have to consider. If you're a fan of these teams, 
the committee is going to do the thing that kind of makes the most sense in the press conference when they have to explain it. It's easy to explain Ohio State, right? Didn't win their division, didn't play in the conference championship, didn't play a tough enough schedule, whatever. Easy to explain Florida State. Didn't have their superstar quarterback. That's part of our criteria. Their offense looked like dog shit the last two weeks. Easy to explain. You have to explain more if you put them in, right? You got to explain more. Georgia, you you don't you got to explain. You can say, look, they didn't win their conference championship. They had a playoff game against Alabama. They lost. They had their chance. They lost. I disagree with that, but that's that's their explanation. They had easy explanations. Well, if Texas is in, that puts Alabama at four. Alabama's the conference champ. Texas is the champ. Washington's undefeated. Michigan's undefeated. Like it's easy to explain those four, and and it's it was, why it felt so clear that night that like to me it felt so clear. I I I thought that the order was right. I thought it was going to be Michigan, uh, Washington, Texas, and Alabama in that order, and that was the right order because it made the most sense from a logical yep. standpoint. Taking emotion out of it, it made the most sense, and yep. I think that when you look at it logically that typically logic and business and the way to do things usually it's like the most was it uh what's that the most uh occam's razor obvious the most answer. Obvious, yeah. yeah occam's razor yeah. yeah yeah the most obvious answer is the right answer this yeah. was the most obvious answer i felt <laughs> like and then then you see kirk curb street put up those four helmets right behind him and i'm like okay well we're good alabama's <laughs> in <laughs> like, well like they're, they're it's it's funny, like I I struggled Saturday night after a couple glasses of whiskey, just kind of through all doing all the machinations in my head. Like, oh, I think they're clearly going to put Ohio State at seven. They're they're going to put Michigan at one. Okay, they're going to put Washington at two. And you sort of kind of like you kind of start to work through it. And the one that was the easiest to explain, and and the easiest to predict is where I and again I think I tweeted it out like twenty minutes before. I said it's going to be Michigan one, Washington two, Texas three, Alabama four. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. In my head, I, Georgia is is better than Washington, but that is extremely difficult to explain to the public, to the to the fans, to the teams. You're already leaving one undefeated champion out. It would be extremely hard to explain it, other than the fact that fucking Georgia would beat their ass. But other than that, it, it's 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 about what they can explain. And frankly, I think Washington Texas is a really good football game. I think Washington Georgia would not have been. And I think Alabama, Michigan is going to be there's I think there's a part of me that really thinks Michigan is going to play extremely well in that game. I think Michigan's going to play they three oh, years. No, JJ of, McCarthy has not looked very good these th- last th- few weeks. Now, listen, Jalen Milrow, these last games has made some questionable calls, too. And we'll, we'll be we have plenty of time to do lots of time show. But <laughs> 35 I, I am. Let me say this. I think they got I think when it's all said and done, you're looking at the best four teams by different by various metrics. When you look at everything that it's supposed to take into account. I think you got the four best teams. Um, Close enough. I I think Georgia is the fifth best team, and I think it's almost like a four B scenario when you yeah. really talk about it. And I, but the thing is, to me, is like Alabama, and I think Eldon said it right. Alabama only won by three, but man, they sure felt like they were dominating Georgia this whole that whole damn game. And it, it like, I I was nervous. The fan in me got nervous, but like I'm also thinking. I don't know. Alabama's just can do whatever it feels like they want. Uh, more, more Williams touches, please, as we go forward. I've been saying that since the U- USF game. Uh, but it, I really, I, we, we've talked about about how Alabama's changed. I agree that Texas has gotten better as the year goes on. Uh, Washington has got better in certain areas, but they've been kind of the same team they've been all year. Same with Michigan. Uh, so, like, I, I at the end of the day. I get that it sucks for the kids. Yep. They ain't my kids. I didn't pay for them to get tuition. They're <laughs> not my football team. Fuck them kids. Well, so J- Jason says, if you look at the data and you just say, I think to make the decision wins and losses, like here's the, like, why isn't liberal? Why aren't people fighting for, and I, I say this a lot in my college football content. So maybe I haven't fully fleshed it out on this show and we got to move on here. But I, Jason, like my, my issue is, is like, why is nobody fighting for Liberty to be in the playoff? And it's because it's very easy for our brains to look at Liberty's conference schedule and say, oh, that's not worthy. I, I think it's I think you do the same thing. It's it's you look at a schedule and you look at how dominant a team is. You look at the talent, you look at the wins, the losses, the resume, the strengths, the weaknesses. Like I, I like you look at all that stuff. And and because they are 
Because we are in a sport where no schedule is created equally, because we are organized around geography 100 years ago, the Pac-12 and the SEC formed 100 years ago based on geography. You can't tell me that those schedules are then automatically the same and that the zero is better than the one. You can't tell me that the zero is automatically better than the one without bringing in a whole shit ton of context because these schedules are based on geography. It's not like the NFL. The NFL schedules are all based on equality. In, in college football, it's based on geography. And so it's just the way it is. You're never going to have an even, even scheduling model in college football until there's a 50-team breakaway and everybody plays a 12-team Power 5 schedule and it's the SEC versus the Big Ten every single year and they have their own commissioner and their own playoff and then all the schedules will be basically even and then we can put teams in based on record. You cannot put a team in based on record. It doesn't work in college football because the schedules are so different. That's all. Uh, it's a very It's a very nuanced understanding of the game. Uh, but Washington played their schedule based on a 1937 forming of the Pac-6. Okay, I just want to just want to make sure everybody knows that. Okay, um, I think it's going to be great. I think it's actually going to give us two really good games. Lost in all the chaos is, is where we're going to be at. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday to preview, of course, the big uh, big stuff coming up this weekend. Um, we're going to have a good time. Make sure you check out F Word, Stack in the Inbox, Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, all the great stuff from across the 440 Sports Network as well. Zach. Thanks for hanging out, man. Always a pleasure. Good to see you, buddy. We'll talk on Thursday. My name is Braden Gall. Thanks for listening. This has been a football show.